Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. God is good. God is faithful. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in steadfast love. God is ever-present. I mean, the, the litany of praise and adoration, acknowledgement of who God is, his greatness and his grace, his all-sufficiency, his mercy, his love, his patience. His provision. I want us to settle in um, this morning when we when we begin the conversations of the day. Um, the first conversation partner should be the Lord our God, and we listen to Him by prayerfully considering the Word of God in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And so, where in the Word are you today? Where in the word are you today? Are you secure in the one who is alone, the way and the truth and the life? Do you recognize um, that God is God and sovereign over the entire scope of of human history? Um, And that right now you have the option of joyfully submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is right now waiting inside to bring your life into greater conformity with God's will and the character of Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, let me invite you to consider this extraordinary grace that is offered to you in Christ Jesus. There is something different about those of us who are Christians. I mean, you're right. Uh, if you're not a Christian and you're listening right now, you are, you have said to yourself on many occasions, those people are whack. Like there is something just different about them. I don't understand uh, sometimes what they're talking about, um, but there's something different about them. I hope you also have experienced in your relationships with Christians, I hope you've experienced the extraordinary reality of the gospel of grace. I hope you know that Christians are praying for you if you're a non-Christian, which I would regard as not yet a Christian. Um, And let me invite you wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, if you are interested in living in peace with God and in peace with yourself and ultimately at peace with other people, Let me invite you to get to know the very Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord of my life, not just the Savior of it. He is the Lord of my life. And I invite you to consider a relationship with him today. You are in a relationship with God one way or another. You are either at enmity with him, still living uh, as if you have a life unto yourself, 
that you're self-made, that you're going to be self-governed, that you are going to be self-fulfilled, um, or you are living in the joyful knowledge of the reality that you are a creature in relationship to the Creator, restored to Him in Christ Jesus the Lord. So you can either have fellowship with Him or you can live at enmity with Him, but one way or another, you are in a relationship with God. It's either a relationship of fellowship or a relationship of enmity. Let me invite you to move from enmity to fellowship today um, by entering into um, a redeemed relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. If you want to know more about that, just uh, let us know. Um, we are at MyFaithRadio.com. You can email me directly, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. You can give us a call uh, on the Faith line at 877-933-2484. Um, we, we stand ready to introduce you to uh, the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is actually why we do what we do every single day, that the gospel might be extended to more and more people. All right, my first conversation partner in this hour is Adam Holtz. He works with Focus on the Family and a ministry called Plugged In, and we're going to talk about some kind of wacky media headlines this week. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from the Ministry of Focus on the Family. You can find him at PluggedIn.com. Adam, welcome back. Carmen, great to talk to you this morning. <laughs> okay. Do you want to start with the cancellation of uh, uh, cops or um, <laughs> the, uh, the cancellation essentially of Gone with the Wind, which HBO has pulled from its lineup, or the evaluation of uh, of A&E, whether or not they're going to continue to platform live PD, or or would you like to talk about uh, issues related to Elmer Fudd and the Paw Patrol? Boy, I mean, I feel like we could put a blindfold on and throw a dart, but... <laughs> let's, you know, start with, let's start with the last one. Come on, come on, please, please, okay. please start with Paw okay, Patrol. Let's, <laughs> let's start with Paw Patrol. You know, obviously we're in a moment where our culture is... Um, Reevaluating, thinking, uh, fighting, arguing, shouting about everything to do with racism. Uh, and you are at the epicenter of it in Minneapolis. Um, and uh, we're sort of relitigating 400 years of history. And in the process, it seems like there are all sorts of what I might call um, collateral damage victims, right? Entertainment wise. And we're, you know, we've got hypersensitive entertainment companies saying, let's, uh, let's rethink this, you know, all the way from classic movies to cartoons. So, uh, Paw Patrol is a kid's show that features animals as sort of police officer ish, uh, characters. And, you know, they're, uh, they're depicted really positively. And, you know, law enforcement at its at its core is about establishing law and order and peace and goodness. And obviously it doesn't always get worked out perfectly. I'm not naive in that sense, but Paw Patrol reflects that. So it's an aspirational show that uh, has these, these animals that function in that role. But apparently uh, that is now too controversial. And 
Um, I love the New York Times headline, the protests come for Paw Patrol. And um, I get that we need to be more sensitive. I get that there may be things that we need to think about in a different light. But the Paw Patrol thing in particular just smacks of of total hysteria. Uh, and, and while we're at it, uh, the Looney Tunes folks have decided that they're going to take Elmer Fudd's gun away from him so that he can't, you know, do damage to that wascally wabbit anymore. Um, and, and I think this is sort of the, this feels like an overstatement to put it mild or an overcorrection to put it mildly. Well, and, you know, one of my concerns really, for those of you who don't know, by the way, Paw Patrol, um, is a children's cartoon. Um, there are a squad of dogs that, um, that are the characters. And so there's a Dalmatian whose name is Marshall. He's a firefighter. There's Rubble. He's a bulldog. He works in construction. And then there's Chase, who's a German shepherd, who's also a cop. And so that's, um, you know, but, they're, but it's, it's fictional. And it, by the way, it's a cartoon. Um, oh, but yeah. when we, we talk about fictional, we talk about cartoons, we, in, in our cultural context today, you know, cartoons have gone not only mainstream, but they've gone prime time. And so right. just because something is um, what would the what would the word be for you know, even call it cartoon, but something that's drawn versus something that has live characters like when when a movie actually has live people in it, we now call it live action versus. Thank you, Paul. Animation. So we're talking here about animation, but animation is really different than it was when I was a kid. Yeah. Although I will say this show and my kids used to watch it definitely has that sort of old school feel about it. I mean, it's obviously mm-hmm. computer generated animation. We're not talking hand drawn stuff. There's not much old school hand drawn stuff that's still out there. Um, but, you know, this is this is the new style of show that if you've got kids and are on Cartoon Network or Disney Plus or Nickelodeon, uh, it's. It's a show that does what so many of these shows aimed at kids try to do, which is to be entertaining, to have a fun premise, and to to deliver a positive moral at the end of every episode. And, you know, I've got three kids. I've watched a lot of those shows, uh, you know, from ones you've heard of, like Dora the Explorer, to, to ones like this that are a little bit under the radar, perhaps. But, um, again, do we have to euthanize Paw Patrol because there's a character that's presented in a positive light as a police officer. I mean, it, the more I think about it, the more ridiculous it absolutely seems. <laughs> okay, so uh, serious issues, serious concerns. We recognize that, um, and we want to be, we want to be, um, you know, paying attention to not only the concerns of our neighbors, but the reality that um, there there's some of this that's very racially charged and wrong. Right. I mean, we we recognize Absolutely. that. Um, Absolutely. But if they come for Andy Griffith, I got to tell you, um, I'm going to um, I'm, I'm going to be troubled. Like, I like yeah. the values that are portrayed in that show. And so I'm going to have to rewatch that and then consider what I now it's a little bit like going back and watching a movie again that I forgot had foul language in it. I'm wondering if right. there are some things that if I went back and I watched them now, um, things that I am now sensitive to, um, you know, would would help me discover things just sort of in our cultural storyline along the way, things where, you know, we thought that was all good and wholesome and then come to find out, well, with new eyes, maybe there were some things going on there that um, we should have been paying better attention to. So I'm uh, continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz. He's always helping us pay better attention to the cultural issues of the day. When we come back, we're going to talk about 
um, the cancellation of uh, of some other things, including Coachella and Lollapalooza, frankly, for which I'm happy that those are canceled. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We'll be right back. Well, now take down your fishing pole and meet me at the vision hole. We may not get a bite all day, but don't you rush away. Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz, uh, you can find him at PluggedIn.com. It's a ministry of focus on the family. Adam, um, let's talk about some things uh, that, frankly, I'm happy are canceled. And so I think that sort of illuminates uh, the the reality that some people are happy about some things being canceled and others happy about other things being canceled. What What is Coachella? What is Lollapalooza? Um, and why do you think, you know, why why would people like me be sort of happy those things are not happening? Um, Coachella and Lollapalooza are two of the biggest uh, multi-day music festivals that have been happening for a long time. Lollapalooza started in the mid-90s and uh, went through the 2000s. I think they took a break for a while and came back a couple of years ago. Uh, Coachella is in California. And these typically take place at, uh, you know, in areas where tons of people can show up, camp, spend a couple days seeing their favorite bands. And, you know, on one hand, as a, as a huge music fan, I love Christian, I love music festivals and there are Christian music festivals too. Um, but I think that we also have to recognize that when you get, you know, 125,000 people together to party to, you know, many of them will smoke marijuana. Many of them will just sort of get out of control. Um, it's not something probably to mourn when it goes away, because I think, uh, you know, the excesses of, um, you know, a lot of the things we think about with regard to to secular music and rock concerts. And again, I'm not on that horse saying it's all bad. But um, the reality is when you bring that many people together, sometimes bad things happen and it gets it gets pretty hedonistic. So mm -hmm. um, I don't think that we really want to uh, mourn that one too much. All right. Let's talk about some movies that we could be watching with our family um, in these days as we're, you know, we're having conversations with our kids about what's going on in the culture. Um, media is a great way to introduce storylines and characters and provoke conversation. So I'm looking at PluggedIn.com right now at an article entitled Movies to Help Your Family Talk About Racism. Yeah, you know, I have found with my own kids who are 9, 11, and 13 – we've been having an ongoing conversation about race at a level that we haven't had it before because of, of what's going on right now. And sometimes I think trying to explain something, you know, it can be harder to tell about it than to show it. And so films especially excel at telling stories. They invite us to empathize. They invite us to understand at their best. You know, they don't always accomplish that. And so we've put together a list of movies that we think could accomplish that. Um, the movies that on our list are Just Mercy, Remember the Titans, Hidden Figures, uh, Black Panther, which is sort of the outlier here, uh, and Selma. And let me just talk about Hidden Figures for a minute because this is the one that, that we have used. Um, we've watched Hidden Figures a couple times just in the last couple of months, and this is a movie about African-American women during the space program in the 60s. And the role that several of them played as engineers and mathematicians, you know, plotting the the orbits and and really being key players in in the space program's early days, and it really depicts the racism of that moment in a way that has helped my daughters, especially, 
to be able to understand uh, what racism is. You know, that there have been periods in our history where we have treated people radically differently because of their skin color. And I know we're not done with that. That's not a thing of the past. Obviously, we're still reckoning with that. But I think that we can say it was different in the early 1960s than it is now, or I'd like to be able to suggest that anyway. And and so these stories invite us into an understanding of that. Selma is another one. Obviously, it's about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and what happened in Selma, Alabama. Um, and and so I think that these are these are stories that invite us to empathize, that invite us to understand, and and we're all trying to figure out how to do that better these days. And these can be a great place to start with your family. Yeah, I really, um, I appreciate that, particularly the observation that, you know, movies help with what I would just call show and tell. Um, yeah, totally. It, it is it is much easier for me to have a shared experience with somebody, even sitting and watching a film, right? And then it gives exactly. us the opportunity to talk about what did you see? What did you hear? What did you feel? What bothered you? Can you imagine what it would be like? Um, yeah. that's a, e- that is easier because it actually takes us into, um, the life experience or the lived experience of another person. Um, and so I do think it, it has the power to grow empathy, um, not only for children, but for adults and, and certainly yeah, absolutely. Uh, it provides platform for conversation, um, within our family. So that's a great weekend, uh, watch list. If you're looking for one, go into plug, go to pluggedin.com. It's a ministry of focus on the family. What you're looking for um, is uh, uh, is an article entitled Movies to Help Your Family Talk About Racism. Um, it's just really excellent. Adam, as always, thank you for the ministry that you are doing every single day and for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Really appreciate it. We'll be right back. All right, I uh, appreciate all the input you're giving me. Um, you would like to see other movies on the list. The War Room, Woodlawn, Same Kind of Different as Me, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, Hard Lessons, Becoming. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you um, continuing to. Uh, Betty and Coretta, thank you for those of you who continue to encourage the way um, uh, the way we are listening to one another, what we're watching, um, why we're watching it. Um, interesting movies that are not making the list. Just saying. Like, nobody's referring to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I don't know. Like, right? Is that is that a movie that we watch to understand what we were thinking about in 1967 um, versus the way we're having the conversations we're having today? Is it worth going back and watching a movie like that to ask ourselves... How how were we how were some people seeing things then that I was not seeing or how were we responding to things then and how much of that residue still exists today? That's just not that long ago. One of the things I've been reminded by um, in watching the Emmanuel Acho um, uncomfortable conversations with a black man on YouTube, which there's a, a second um, a second in that series. If you want to check it out, one of the things I've been reminded of is that there are just lots of places where we are um, we got blind spots. And we don't even hear ourselves give backhanded compliments. We don't even recognize, um, you know, I'll use the term microaggression, but, you know, it's more than that. If I have offended someone, if I have hurt someone, um, I need to be made aware of it so that I don't do it again. I'm not not interested in being hurtful. Um, So 
there you go. Uh, what are you watching? Why are you watching it? How are you talking about the issues before us today? Uh, next up, I am talking with Abdu Murray. Uh, before he died, Ravi Zacharias wrote a book with Abdu. Uh, they wrote it collaboratively together. It is Seeing Jesus from the East. Abdu Murray is going to be here next to talk with us about the last book that he co-authored with Ravi Zacharias, Seeing Jesus from the East. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Were your growing up years hard years? This is Max Locato. Family pain is the deepest pain because it was inflicted so early. It involves people who should have been trustworthy. You were too young to process the mistreatment. You didn't know how to defend yourself. Besides, the perpetrators of your pain were so large. Your dad, mom, uncle, big brother, they towered over you, usually in size, always in rank. When they judged you falsely, you believed them. As a result, you've been operating on faulty data. You're stupid, slow, dumb like your daddy, fat like your mama. And decades later, these voices of defeat still echo in our subconscious, but they don't have to. Romans 12:2 says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You are God's child, His creation. You'll get through this. You're a part of His family. Joining me now, Abdu Murray. Uh, Abdu worked with Ravi Zacharias at the Ravi Zacharias uh, International Ministries. He is an author, a speaker, an attorney by trade. Abdu, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, I would be remiss if we didn't start this conversation where everyone listening right now is hoping we will start this conversation, and that is that I would just simply... Um, extend to you my deepest condolences um, at the loss of your friend. Well, thank you so much, Carmen. You know, it's uh, it's still unbelievable, you know, and I know for many people it's that way too. Um, uh, I stop and think now, you know, there's all this busyness that comes around when someone passes, and especially when someone with such a notoriety and a platform and uh, an impact passes as well. And I was so involved and steeped in that, that now that the, the, the busyness has sort of uh, dissipated a bit, um, it's sort of hitting me now, you know, like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to hear another nugget come from Ravi. You know, uh, I listened to him before I became a Christian um, and because he helped, he was instrumental in my journey of faith. And then I joined the team and I was sharing the platform with him uh, and so many stories of sharing the platform with him. So I've listened to him for a good 20 plus years because I've been a believer now for 20 years. And, um, I, despite being with him for 20 years and despite listening to him and, and seeing him up on stage, I would always hear these surprising things. Like I thought, hadn't I heard everything he's going to say already? And then this bit of nug- this, this, this bit of wisdom would just come out of him. And I was wondering, where did that come from? Um, and what saddens me is that I'm not going to hear a new one. Uh, but I am looking forward to that time. You know, we have that hope that we'll see him um, again, along with so many other loved ones. And uh, as he shows us around and says, look at this, look at this, come see this, learn about this. He'll be as excited as ever. He'll be like a schoolboy who's just excited to be, to show his, his, his friends his room, so to speak, you know. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that day so much. That does bring a smile to my face, 
even though um, I, I'm going to miss him terribly for, for the rest of our days here. But we're going to see him again, and I, I can't wait for that. And that's the hope that he preached so well and uh, that I know a lot of people uh, listening uh, are grieving his loss but are looking forward to that hope as well. Amen. Um, it occurs to me that one of the ways we are going to get to uh, hear his voice, um, at least uh, from the written page, is through this book that um, that you guys are just you know now releasing. So this you wrote this with Ravi, Seeing mm-hmm. Jesus from the East, a fresh look at history's most influential figure. I do want to tell our listeners I have a handful of copies to give away. Um, if as we're talking today you are interested in entering to win uh, one of the copies that we have here in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Abdu, just uh, d- talk with us about this this book that you co-authored with Ravi um, and how it's helping us see Jesus in ways that, frankly, are totally fresh. Yeah, and that's the, that was the goal, really. And, you know, the impetus for this, Carmen, is, is interesting because um, this was this book was originally Nabil Qureshi's idea. And as you know, um, uh, Nabil was a former Muslim himself um, and, and from Pakistan, uh, has that Eastern background. And before he passed, he approached Uncle Ravi and said, um, you know, I'd like to do a book where we can recapture the Easternness of Jesus, both for the Easterner, so that the Easterner can see that Jesus isn't merely the sort of icon of religious white Western imperialism, uh, but also for the Westerner, so they can see Jesus in a way that in his original context and some of the, the richness and depth of what he said and spoke about would, 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 would surface again, and we could fall in love with him uh, in his authenticity, not just the way we make him in our image, but in the image that he actually is in. Um, so Nabil's idea was that, but Nabil fell ill to uh, stomach cancer, and before he could put any pen to paper, he passed. Uh, so Ravi called me and um, said, hey, Abdu, because of your Middle Eastern background and because of um, your background as a former Muslim as well, it just makes sense that you would take up the mantle here. And I was thrilled to be able to do it because I had wanted to write this kind of a book anyway. And I, I always used to uh, elbow Nabil in the ribs and say, you beat me to it, man. You beat me to it. Um, uh, but now I get to take up the mantle for Nabil as well. Uh, so what the book is all about is recapturing that Easternness of Jesus, because I think there's a couple of things that are benefits to that for the Western mind. And I know a lot of folks listening are Western. Some of them, of course, do come from Eastern backgrounds. Um, that I think oftentimes we have made Jesus uh, almost into a, um, a, a, a familiar, like, old blanket. You know, we, we've come to become so familiar with him that he's almost like background uh, noise. He's just furniture that we love, but it's in the background. It's part of our, our living room, as it were, and we just take it for granted. Whereas Jesus, uh, if you see him from the East in his original context, one, puzzling things that we thought were puzzling from a Western context that he says or does suddenly come alive. Uh, but two, there's a richness to what he says. And what I think we'll, what people will see when they read this book is that um, Jesus spoke in a very Middle Eastern and Eastern context for a very specific time, but what he said transcended centuries because he's speaking to issues we are now wrestling with, with all the unrest we're seeing, with all the issues we're seeing now. Jesus spoke to those issues 2,000 years ago. And so what we're hoping to show is that um, readers can experience Jesus 
in the way that Leslie Newbigin said, is to see Jesus as our eternal contemporary. He never goes out of fashion. He speaks cross-culturally and cross-temporally, across cultures and across time. I'm talking with Abdu Murray. We are talking specifically about a book he has co-authored with Ravi Zacharias. The book is Seeing Jesus from the East. Um, Abdu, uh, well, first of all, I, I just took notes the whole time you were talking, um, and um, and I will, uh, I'm going to use the word Easternness again, um, and then I'm going to tell you that when I wrote it down, it looks like Easternness. So there you go. Um, that could be your next book, How Easternness is Easterous. Um, there you go. Um, so, I like that one. Um, talk with us about things that we are. There are really essential differences between Eastern um, worldviews or thinking, uh, the, the Eastern mindset, and mm-hmm. not just the Western worldview and mindset, but the postmodern Western worldview and mindset. Um, and you, you make some of those distinctions in this book. So maybe just uh, give us a little insight into a few of those. Absolutely. And one of the ways in which there's a fundamental difference, although it's interesting because there's ways in which they're starting to converge, the East and the West, and even a postmodern mindset is starting to converge, but there are fundamental differences. And the main fundamental difference is that, so in the West, we value our individualism. Um, Sort of the Western expansion, the Western frontier enterprise and all this, as Tocqueville would say, was based on the, the robust individualism of the West. So, you know, we, we had a go West young man and go forge your own destiny. And, you know, you have a right to believe what you want to believe and say what you want to say and do what you want to do. And all that's wonderful. It's just great. It's what makes the West what the West actually is. But that rampant individualism, like all things in life, has a shadow side. And the shadow side to um, robust individualism is that we often forsake the collective. We don't realize that our actions actually have impact on their broader uh, people around us. Um, so, you know, we as Westerners think, well, you have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. And if, if you happen to believe something that your parents don't believe, yes, there might be some discomfort there. But the reality is you have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. And that's true. In the East, it's different. In the East, it's not as individualistic. Yes, there is some individualism, of course, but it's more of a collectivist mindset. So uh, it's what's called an honor and shame culture. In the West, we have an innocence guilt culture where uh, our morality is enforced internally. So if I do something wrong in the West, I feel an internal sense that I should make up for it. A guilt sort of takes over from the inside and I want to make myself innocent or at least do something to make up for what I've done. In the East, because of its collectivism, you know, the family unit is the most important unit. And that unit is big because it's also uh, extended. Then there's the culture and then there's the broader, the nation. So everything you do and say has to be filtered through an honor and shame lens, not a guilt and innocence one. What that means is, is that everything you say, believe and do has to bring honor to you and to your family and has to avoid shame. What that means, that's a good thing. There's a lot of good because you're thinking about the impact on others. The shadow side to that is that sometimes we will believe in the East and in the Middle East, we will believe false things. When we know them to be false, because believing the false thing will maintain the family and communal honor, because mm. religion is who you are. It's not what you believe. It's who you are. And so to change your worldview, for example, to go from Muslim to Christian, to go from Hindu to Christian, to even go from Christian to uh, something else brings 
tremendous shame because it's a rejection of your community. And in an honor-shame culture, there can be no more serious shame than rejecting your family or your community. I'm talking with Abdu Murray. We are talking about uh, his new book, Seeing Jesus from the East. If you're interested in entering the drawing for the copies we have, please text the word book to 877-933-2484. we got to take a brief break, and then we'll be right back. I'm talking with Abdu Murray. You can find him at rzim.org as a part of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. You can also find him at abdumurray.com. If you click there, you will immediately see the book we are discussing today, which is Seeing Jesus from the East. Abdu, let's um let's apply uh, what we know about Christ and the gospel to the current cultural moment in which we are all living together. Um mm. We had a conversation uh, in our family uh, about where we are and what's going on, and an observation was made that if you believe in evolution, then what's wrong with racism? And I thought, that's a good—let me tee that question up. That's a good conversation for Abdu Murray. Yeah, I've actually done an entire um, presentation on just this issue alone. It's called, like, Jesus or Darwin, Who Makes Sense?, of our outrage at racism, because, you know, the whole Darwinian uh, model is based on... Now, before I begin, though, I want to make sure I'm clear, is that if someone believes in evolution, and if someone is uh, a Darwinist, and there are Christians who actually believe uh, that evolution is the way God used um, uh, nature to create human beings, I'm not saying you have to be a racist or, the, or, or you end up being a racist. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that on an evolutionary paradigm, especially a naturalistic one, there's two problems with it. One, there is no transcendent moral law. There is no objective moral framework. There's just molecules in motion, and they happen to create us. We are a cosmic accident. So how can there be any morality whatsoever? And if there's no morality, then you can't have a, uh, a moral outrage at an objective wrong like racism because there is no objective wrong. There's just molecules in motion. But further than that, on a Darwinian perspective, how, does, how do species actually propagate? Uh, in fact, Darwin was talking about this and Darwin himself uh, talked about the implications that there would be favored races uh, among different species of animals, but of, even within the certain species, there would be favored races within those species because the whole paradigm of evolution is that based on random mutation and natural selection, the strong or the fortunate will always dominate the less fortunate. And so that is a breeding ground for these kinds of problems. So in a purely naturalistic sense, uh, evolution cannot justify our outrage at racism. Now, I don't think evolution necessarily leads us to end up being racist. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is our current outrage at it and our justifiable outrage at it cannot be justified unless there's a God who made us in his image, who gave us a transcendent worth beyond all sort of just uh, fashions of the day. It's not a matter of human opinion. It's a matter of transcendent reality. And each of us has value based on the value giver and only because we have value because of a value giver. I think there's no question that there's a gospel opportunity 
um, mm. right now because of the pain in which we're in, because of the questions that people are asking, um, and and Darwinianism and and scientism, they cannot bear the weight of the questions we're now asking individually mm. and as a people. I mean, it, the gospel can bear the weight of it, but um, mm-hmm. but other but other answers to the question cannot bear the weight of it. And so, really appreciate that. I'm hoping that you will. Um, you will tee that back up somewhere, uh, the, the mm. Jesus on Darwin conversation, because that mm. is that is an equipping that we need right now um, in our conversations of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Ravi describes you uh, as a one-time super lawyer in Lebanon, <laughs> and so um, so uh, you are a super lawyer, uh, no question about that. Um, but I just want to ask a, a, an open-ended question here um, as we bring our conversation to a close. Um, about Lebanon and how you would invite us to be praying today um, for people uh, not only there but around the world? Well, um, so I was a super lawyer in Michigan, actually, but my my heritage is Lebanese. Uh, Super lawyer is a title that they give you when you uh, sort of win a certain accolade uh, as a lawyer. Um, It's sort of a weird name, isn't it? But there you have it. when you look at Lebanon, what's going on right now with the economy and the way that the, the Lebanese pound is just dropped in its value. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of things going on and there's a lot of complication behind it economically. And so what's happening is, is that a lot of Lebanese people, when they're protesting and their protests are just as virulent um, and just as uh, passionate as what's going on here in the States on race, is that what I would ask people to do is pray for this wonderful country. Um, it's been the subject of and subject, subjected itself to so much unrest and violence over the centuries that this beautiful gem with even more beautiful people has suffered for so long under various ways, whether it's violence or economics. Uh, Please do pray for these image bearers of God. Lebanon is split, uh, fractured religiously. There's um, uh, about half Muslim, half Christian, with some Druze mixed in and other people as well. And there's those religious tensions that perpetually exist. Now there's economic tensions and political tensions. Um, it's a little, it's always like a veritable powder keg waiting to explode in some way, but it's a gorgeous place, a beautiful place with beautiful people. So if you do think to pray for a place that was near and dear, even to Jesus's heart, he walked into Tyre and Sidon and the places that are now in Lebanon, and he ministered there and he ministered powerfully and wonderfully in those areas. Um, and he spoke to uh, those kinds of people and to the Arabs who eventually became Christians, the first Christians uh, were even included among Arabs, do pray for them because they desperately need it. Pray for economic uh, restoration. Pray for the wisdom of political leaders. Pray for factionalism to end. And pray for people ultimately to see that their hope doesn't lie in politics or conspiracy theories or outrage. It lies in Christ Jesus, not as a political figure who can give them what they want in this life, but as the spiritual figure he really is who can get them what they need which is salvation and seeing each other as people in God's image. Abdu, um, thank you. Um, We will pray for you. Uh, We'll continue to pray for the ministry of RZIM. We'll continue um, to pray for the people of Lebanon. And um, thank you for what you have offered us, not only today, but every day through your ongoing ministry. Uh, Thank you for this book, Seeing Jesus from the East. Um, Just thank you maybe mostly for being a brother in Christ who's just willing to continue to cultivate conversations with the rest of us as we need to be Mm. equipped, uh, you know, more thoroughly for the conversations we have each and every day. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Carmen. Thank you for your kindness. What a joy. 
All right. If you um, are interested in entering to receive one of the copies of Seeing Jesus from the East that we have here, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 in the seconds we have left. Let us be praying for the Lebanese people. Let us be praying um, for the nation. Let us be praying for the factionalism and the fractures. And let us be praying for a unity of spirit and the bond of peace that comes through the knowledge of who Christ is, who is the Prince of Peace. And let us echo that prayer, not only for Lebanon and the people uh, there, the Lebanese people, but for people here in the United States of America and the fractures that we are experiencing right now. Let us be the people who bring the gospel to bear in beautiful ways today. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. And God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.